Let's praise God together. Give the Lord a thank you for allowing him to have you here today. Man, I'm so glad that you could be here. Today is part two of the sermon series, Heavy Duty, Building a Stronger Family. This is a three-week sermon series all about the home. And we believe that the family is to work like a well-oiled machine. Every individual part having its own function and desire. Uh, excuse me, function and design. Every aspect of the home working together in unity brings benefit to the entire home. When a father, a wife, a child are all actively participating, the home becomes an unstoppable force in society and culture. But what if the family isn't functioning correctly? What happens when the father is absent? What happens when the wife is disengaged? What happens when the children are rebelling against mother and father? Is there any hope? In this series uh, that began last Sunday and continues today and then tomorrow, uh, next Sunday, we're dealing with the biblical ideals, but also the alternate realities of how God sees the home and how we can learn from it. Today, we're talking, last week we talked to the men about being fathers and fatherhood. It was a great sermon. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. That's pretty pathetic that I had to ask for that. We talked to the men about being fathers. Today, we're going to talk to the, wife, to, the, to the women about being wives. Now, you might say to yourself, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. If you talked to the men about fatherhood last week and you talked to the women, would you not talk to the women about being mothers? It would seem that that would be the symmetry of this sermon series. Yet years of pastoral counseling uh, and personal ministry experience I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of preaching to our church and uh, counseling families. I've learned this principle to be, th be true, and that is this. Typically, when a man destroys a family, he does so by being a bad father. Conversely, when a woman destroys a family, she does so by being a bad wife. Your experience may be different than mine, but my experience as a pastor of 20 years and studying the scripture and helping families, typically when a man destroys a family, it's because he's a disengaged father who's not fulfilling his role. When a woman destroys a family, it's because she doesn't know how to be a good wife. So last week, if I was going to speak to the men, I felt led of the Lord to talk about fatherhood because that's what's caused most of the problems that I see from a man's perspective in the home. Today, I felt led of the Lord to speak to the women of our congregation about being a good wife uh, because I've seen that's what's caused most problems in our homes, families, and thus in culture. The Bible actually talks quite a bit to the wife about being a, a good wife and a good mother. Now, based on what we saw last week, we all understand where this series is going. It is a very real personal conversation between his pastor and his people from the Word of God. I think you have the same value I do about church that it's not to be a place of inauthenticity. It's not to be a place of... Um, Scratching people behind the ear, making them feel good, and only telling them what they want to hear. But we have 
set, as of last Sunday, three weeks in a row of real conversations, real dialogue, really explaining what the scripture is in a biblical worldview. And so I understand this week, over the last seven days, as some men have felt very offended by what I said about fatherhood. Rightly so, we can dialogue about these things. I care for you, and as a man, I want you to change your mind to be more biblical. And I also understand, in the same realm, there will be women today that are offended by some of the things that the Bible says. And I want you to know my door is open to you. We can talk about these things, and I can help you to start thinking more biblically. The goal is not to be offensive. The goal today is to show you the same consideration I did to the men last week and to speak bluntly and truthfully. What kind of a terrible man would I be to speak truth bluntly to men last week and think that women could not see, hear a blunt, truthful message as well? Boy, that would make me a chauvinist, and what a terrible thing that would be. So today, with the same forthrightness, the same boldness, the same confidence, I teach the Bible to women and men equally. So let's go ahead today and talk about the virtues of a godly wife. Proverbs chapter 31 actually talks about this beautifully, so I don't necessarily have to. And uh, thankfully, it was... Uh, well, some believe this portion could have been written by a woman, and so this is good. It's not uh, me as a man telling you these things. It's, it's a woman doing so. And we're going to find out more about the historical nature of this under our third point today, so I think that'll be helpful as well. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10, it begins, it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Father in heaven, my prayer is that you would help me to simply state what your Bible says for my friends, for my brothers, especially today for my sisters. I pray, Father, that you would convict us where we need conviction. You would confront us where we need confrontation. You would comfort us where we need comfort. Most of all, we pray that we would see truth and that I would speak truth, but speak it in love so that it could be received. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A virtuous wife. The, the word virtuous means one who is full of virtue. Another concept of the word virtue, another translation for the Hebrew word that speaks of virtue, is that of strength. We're talking about a multifaceted, multi-strengthed woman. A woman who is strong. A woman who is filled with virtues. The Bible says that a woman who is filled with virtues is extremely valuable. Now, are you uncomfortable as I am when you see that concept? Are you as uncomfortable as I am assigning value to a human being, even more value to one human being above another? The reason you may be uncomfortable with that is because of the modern society in which we live. We as Christians believe very clearly that every human soul has value, intrinsic value to God. From the womb to the tomb, every single soul has value to God. If you're a Christian that believes that, say amen. amen. From the womb to the tomb, every, every Christian believes that every human soul has intrinsic value to God. Why? Specifically because we are the image bearers of God. Both men and women and every man and every woman who has ever lived has intrinsic value 
to God. This is where we get controversial. Are you ready? Just because you are valued by God doesn't make you valuable to others. I'm smiling so you can't be mad at me. <laughs> valuable to others. Here, the Bible is talking about a virtuous woman is valuable to her husband like a bucket of rubies, more than a bucket of rubies. If he could pick between a bucket of rubies and her, he would pick her every time. I guess the question is, would your husband pick you over a bucket of rubies? Are you valuable to him? Some husbands are like, I'd trade her for a taco. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like if I could, a couple good tacos. You know what I mean? So, yeah, this is where I see some people that are really nervous about the sermon. Some of you guys are like, I can't laugh right now, Pastor, but I'm with you. <laughs> oh. Are you a valuable wife? Now, let me just stop and say, and I'll address this at the end of the sermon, being a wife does not make you valuable. Please understand, there has been strange Christian teaching from the past that has taught that a woman's only value is in the home. That is absolutely bunk and not found in Scripture. A woman's value is far beyond the home, clearly, just as a man's is. But that doesn't change the fact that some women who are in a relationship ought be valuable to that relationship. So, are you valuable to your husband? Are you valuable to the home? There is a difference, by the way, between being valued and valuable. You can value something that has no intrinsic valuable nature in society because it's important to you. A demonstration of that would be these glasses that so keenly Rest upon my hip there, these glasses. You say, Pastor Josh, where did you get those glasses? From Elton John? No, these glasses I got actually on my very first date with Heather. Uh, we were 18 years old and uh, 18, yeah, I think, or 19 years old. We went on a date to a place called The Track, which was down south, if you've ever been. There's a lot of, um, they, they uh, have big go-karts and they go around these big tracks and putt-putt golf and arcades. And after we were done with the track, because we could only ride once, because I, was a, I had no money, uh, we went inside and played some video games. And the video games she likes to play, I like the video games that are actual video games. She likes to play the competitive video games because she's extremely competitive. Let's go play skee-ball. Let's get some tickets. And so we played skee-ball. After she beat me at skee-ball, she said, let's go play the basketball one. Now, the basketball one is one I did not want to play in front of her because I have no, zero, at all athletic ability. And she has a lot. So we went over there. She smoked me. And um, it was kind of embarrassing until I realized I did not know this about her at the time. The, the thing that, that is exciting the most to Heather is when she can destroy anybody else in anything. <laughs> it was the best move in the world that I lost, and she got all of these tickets, and we went up to the ticket booth, bought some candy, bought a couple other things, and we bought these. I have a photograph of her wearing these and me wearing another pair. These I keep in a box of mementos. I'm not a very sentimental man. I throw away a lot of things. I don't think I could ever throw these away. Someday they will be thrown away. Someday, years from now, a grandchild or a nephew or a niece 
or some great-grandchild will be going through all my stuff looking for coins. <laughs> you know what I mean, you know? They're like, yeah, the grandpa was somebody, does he have any silver in here, you know? <laughs> and, and they'll see these, and they'll be like, uh, that's trash, and they'll throw it away because they don't know what it means. To them, it's just trash. To me, it has value. I value them. But to the rest of the world, there's no intrinsic value. The opposite would be the case for, for this. This is a 10-ounce silver bar. It's worth nearly $300 no matter where you go. I have no emotional connection to this bar, but it's valuable. There's value that I see in it, and you see it, and all of society does. It's valuable to everybody that comes into contact with it. As I preach this passage, I think it's incredibly important to understand. God sees you the way I see these glasses. You have, as a human being, outside of your image-bearer nature of God, you are just dust who happens to have the breath of God in you, and you're going to return to dust. You have no intrinsic value. In fact, you've sinned against God, so have I. You've sinned against God so badly, your soul and my soul deserves to be damned forever in a place called hell. You say, but I really try to work hard before God. I know you do, but the Bible says even your good works are like filthy rags before God. You can't do it. You can't do it. Neither can I. But for some reason, he likes you. It's not just that he likes you, he loves you. We call this grace. Not because you've earned it, but because he gave it. And when he sees you, he can never throw you away. More on that at the end of the sermon. But just because you are valued by God doesn't mean you're valuable to the people around you. So when the Bible says, there's a certain kind of wife who is virtuous. She's filled with virtues and strengths. And to her husband, she's like, well, he would rather have her than a bucket of rubies. Ladies, how can we, how can you, ask this question, what are the virtues of a valuable wife? As I begin, I must say this. These virtues and valuable things we see in this passage are not natural qualities. They're not personality traits. They are earned virtues, which means I'm not asking you, are you these things naturally? I'm saying, are you working toward these things so that you can add value to yourself and therefore be valuable to the people around you? I don't care if I'm valuable to the people around me. I know, and that's why nobody wants you around them. <laughs> I think everybody is equally valuable around. Really? Everybody you work with has always been equally valuable to your work. Everybody in this room can think of people you work with that become less valuable to the corporation and less valuable to you, the fellow employees. And everybody's thinking the same thing. Why are they still working here? 
It's because they're not valuable to the people around them. But for the woman in this room who says, I do want to be valuable to my husband. I do want to be valuable to my children. I do want to be valuable to my, wife, my, my, my family. This is the passage that God has for us, one of them. Who can find a virtuous, valuable, strong woman, wife? Her worth is far above rubies. We see, number one, as you add these values to your life, you add these attributes to your life, number one, she is trustworthy, trustworthy, trustworthy. The Bible says the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Deep in the heart of the husband that has this wife, he trusts her. There's an implicit trust. She doesn't break his trust. He knows that he can trust her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not evil, all the days of her life. Throughout her entire life, she does what she can to be found trustworthy to him. So whenever he's not around, he's not wondering is she sexually being with somebody else? No, he trusts her. She's trustworthy. When he's not around or when she's not around him, he's not thinking, I wonder if she's spending all of our money. No, she's trustworthy financially. She's trustworthy sexually. He's not wondering if he has to bear the heavy load of the entire family because she's trustworthy as it relates to responsibility in the home. She carries much of the load of their family. She's trustworthy. He doesn't have to wonder if she's constantly gossiping to her friends or her family or to others about him. No, she would never do that because she's trustworthy to him. He'd never think that she would do that. Are you trustworthy to your spouse? Have you broken that trust so often that you've become less valuable to him? She is trustworthy. Number two, she is hardworking. God bless hardworking women. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Wool, speaking of uh, those elements that need to make clothing, flax, speaking of those elements that need to make food, and she willingly works with her hands. She's not afraid of getting her hands dirty, you understand? She's not afraid of a little bit of work, you understand? She gets the job done. In, in my home, my dear wife, she is just really gifted, right? She really is. Uh, but our roles are reversed quite often for our modern American sensibilities, right? In, in our home, uh, when there's a drain that is clogged, it is me who reaches into that drain and pulls out the filth of Hades. Whatever is in there, I do that. I do that. It's disgusting. It's filthy. And my daughters are gross. Let me just say that, you understand? I pull that out. But when the, uh, when the um, garbage disposal breaks in our home, it's Heather. It's Heather who fixes that. You say, why? Because she knows what she's doing. She had a father who was very, very good with fixing things, and he taught her how to. I had a father who did not do those things, 
And so I'm the person who reaches their hand in the drain and pulls out clogs of hair. She's the one who fixes things. You say, you're not a real man. Go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon. Let's move on. (laughs) She is a hard worker. She's not afraid of getting her hands dirty. Do you understand what I'm saying? It goes on. She is like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She does whatever it takes to take care of the family. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid servants. You say, what does this mean? She gets up before the sun gets up. Now we begin to see something that we did not know before. This is actually describing somebody historically there. maybe, Maybe this is an actual historical figure. And we can tell that this person, whoever she was, she seemed to be a wealthy person because she doesn't just take care of her household. It says she takes care of her maidservants, which means she has a large estate, this wife does. And notice about this woman, she's incredible. She doesn't wake up and wait for her maidservants, her employees, to come and take care of her. She's up before them, taking care of them so they can get their responsibilities done. Wow, that is leadership. What an incredible, virtuous woman this is. By the way, it's nearly impossible to wake up early in the morning before the sun is up if you spend all night doing foolish things that make no sense, like scrolling through social media. How are we going to wake up and take care of everybody else if we're wasting our time and can't sleep in the, mor- in the evening? Nancy Lee DeMoss, a wonderful Bible teacher, points out about this chapter that the, uh, the Jewish tradition and the, the rabbis of old in their commentaries on the Old Testament say that the writer, Proverbs chapter 31, is actually pointing back to the woman named Ruth, who would have been just several generations before. That this chapter actually describes the great-great-grandmother of Solomon, a woman, a, a woman, Ruth, who was precisely what this chapter seems to describe, And I would encourage you to read more from Nancy Lee DeMoss on this subject. We see, number one, that this woman is trustworthy. Number two, she is hardworking. Number three, she has confidence. She is confident. When I say confidence, I'm speaking of boldness. I'm speaking of courage. So many of the verses in this chapter speak of this type of confidence. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and she buys it and from her profits she plants a vineyard. What does she do? She's a businesswoman. She goes out into the community and finds a piece of land. She evaluates it and realizes it's it's undervalued. She can buy it at a good rate and she can buy it and then flip it and then take the profits and plant a vineyard and have bigger business. Tell me in this passage, tell me in this passage where she checks with her husband on this. Tell me in this passage where she goes and she checks with her adult male children. Can I buy this? Is this okay? She knows her business. She has complete confidence. Notice, there is no timidity here with this woman. There's no uncertainty. She knows what she's doing. She knows the business she's been called to. Confidence, ladies. Confidence. One of the biggest mistakes I think we've made in Christianity in the West, in America, over the last 100 years, is that we've taught Christian women that timidity is somehow a virtue. It is not. Boldness strength, courage, 
confidence. Look at verse 21 if you don't believe me. Look, it goes on. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. By the way, how weird was the snow this week, right? How many of you live up in Summerlin where you actually saw a whole half an inch? Did you see some? Man, crazy. We're like, oh, snow day for a week, and then it was gone in a half hour, right? She's not afraid of the snow when it comes for a household, for all of her household is clothed in scarlet. She's not afraid when the winter's coming. It's September and October. She's not, oh no, what's going to happen in the next season? She knows exactly what happened because every year the same thing happens. Snow comes and she's got a full closet filled with all the winter clothes for everybody. Other people are not thinking about this, but she is thinking about this. She is confident. Notice, there's no worry here. There's no anxiety here. There's no fear here. There's no intrepidation of the future. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. If this person gets into office, if this happens, what's going to happen? She's fully confident. She knows what's going to happen. God bless women like this. By the way, we as men need women like this so that we can go to, in our moments of non-confidence, for strength ourselves. How many times, how many times in my life I had no idea what would happen next and fear overcame my soul as a human being that I went to my very strong wife and she was able to comfort and guide and give me strength where I could find it from no other place. There are moments, sir, that you're going to be weak and you need her to be strong. And there are moments, my dear sweet sister, where you're going to be weak and you're going to need him to be strong. Be there for one another. Say, you ought to be her rock. We are each other's rock for one another. Number three, or under this, confidence. Notice this, verse 23. Oh, I like this one. Verse 23, it says, her husband is known in the gates and, he, and when he sits among the elders of the land. Why would it tell us about her husband and how well-known he is? Well, I think there's many applications here, but I'll give you one. Her husband, known in the gates, means that he would have been an important person in that community. Known in the gates would have been like saying uh, he was part of the city council. He was an important figure in the community, a decision maker in the community. But this is what I love. He sits among the elders of the land. Notice this. There's no insecurity with her. There's no jealousy. She's fully confident in who she is. She does what she can do, so he can do what he can do. They are partners. You know, there's nothing more, there's nothing, oh, okay, this is a hard part. Are you ready for it? I'm going to smile, so here comes our, there's nothing more pathetic than when a man is so insecure by the successes of his wife, or a wife is so insecure by the successes of her husband, that they feel the necessity of pulling them down so that they feel better. Friend, if you feel that necessity when your spouse succeeds, it's not they who have the issue. Your insecurity is showing, sister. You understand? Your insecurity is showing, my brother. We've got to be careful of that. She's confident, bold, courage. I love that. Notice it goes on. Look at the next verse. I like this part. It says, strength and honor are her clothing. Tell me what she wears. I'll tell you what she wears. She wears strength. She wears dignity. She's walking around like a little mouse. She knows what it is to stand up straight and speak with confidence, speak with boldness. She shall rejoice in the time to come. 
The idea here of rejoicing the time to come is that as she looks into the future, she views it with joy, not with terror. Would to God that we would have some women that would look into the future not with terror, but with confidence and joy and laugh in the face of the future. This is a confidence that we see reflected in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and ought be reflected in the men and women of our Christian community. Can I get an amen right there? Number four, this woman, this virtuous, valuable wife, number four, she has beauty. She has beauty. Now, before you misunderstand this term, you must understand the difference between natural beauty and earned beauty. The Bible is not against natural beauty. In fact, the, the Song of Solomon talks a lot about natural beauty. Like, it's natural beauty. It's talking about this body part and that body part and all of these. I mean, it's all about natural beauty. Proverbs 31 doesn't even touch natural beauty until the end, and then it undermines it. Proverbs 31 talks about earned beauty. So what do you mean natural beauty? Natural beauty is that which you have when you're 21 years old. Right? Don't you love the makeup commercials, by the way? I love the makeup commercials that's like, here's this 21-year-old model, clearly, has never even under, thought of a wrinkle. And she's like, I bought this beautiful makeup, and look, I'm like 21 years old. It's because you are 21 years old. Do you understand? <laughs> like, what are you, what, what, are we being fooled here? I was an old hag. And then, no, you, were, you weren't. You weren't an old hag. The makeup did nothing. You were already perfect, right? This is natural beauty. That's not what, Bible, not what Proverbs 31. It doesn't point to natural beauty. It points to earned beauty. You say, what is earned beauty? Great question. Earned beauty. The difference between natural beauty and earned beauty is this. Natural beauty is effortless. Earned beauty is filled with effort. It means you do the best with what you have. It means you don't let yourself go because we're lazy. Well, look at what it says. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She takes care. This verse talks about the, 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 the body itself. She works hard at taking care of her body. That's an earned beauty. We all know those, right? of the past we went to school with, 25 years later we get on Facebook and we say, hey, I wonder where, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> and then we see people from 25 years ago and you're like, wow, they really, they, man, they look pretty good. That's not natural, friend, that's earned. That's taking care of yourself, truly. And that's what this is speaking of. It not only speaks of the beauty of earned virtue, the earned beauty of the body, but it also speaks of the earned beauty of her clothing. Look at what it says in verse 22. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is a fine linen and purple. She cares about what she wears. She doesn't just throw it together. She genuinely wants to present. You say, well, what, what's beauty? Isn't beauty in the eye of the beholder? It is, it's cultural, but impo most importantly in our context, it has much to do with a woman learning what her husband sees as beautiful. Culturally, there are things that are beautiful, things that we see as beautiful that other cultures may not, and things they saw as beautiful that we may not see as beautiful. 
Most importantly is not what we see as culturally beautiful, but what we look as a wife and say, what does my husband think is beautiful? And putting effort into that. You know what the modern society will tell you? The modern society will say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me, except for what everybody else thinks of me. And then you value less what your husband thinks of you than anybody. And when in reality, what we ought to be doing is asking the question, what do they want? What do they see as beautiful? It's selflessness is what it is. And we see this is a virtue. This is what makes value of a wife. Number five, she is industrious. You say, isn't industrious the same thing as hardworking? And the answer to that is no. Hardworking is I've been given a job and I'm going to work hard at accomplishing it. Industrious is I'm going to create a job and I'm going to make money from it. Do you see the difference? Both are expected. Industrious. Look at verses 18 and 19. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Oh, I, we see it, I didn't even know this. She, is, she's a, she deals with the merchants. She is a creator of goods. She sells her goods in the marketplace. This is really cool. She perceives that her merchandise is good. That is, she looks at her merchandise compared to the competition and says, mine is better than theirs. We're going to do pretty well this month. And her lamp does not go out by night. Sometimes she has to stay up in the middle of the night. The lamp stays on in the middle of the night. Why? Because she's making money, baby. That's right. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. According to this, whoever this woman was, if it was Ruth, whoever the woman was, she is a creative, a, 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 somebody who creates literally uh, these type of, we're going to see later, uh, linen clothes and sashes, and she sells them in the marketplace, and she's up all night doing these things so that she can get a good price for it. Brilliant, fantastic. This is a wonderful virtue. And she is bringing money to the table. She is a money maker. Two things I want to address here. First of all, the 20th century perspective in America by Christians that women ought not be the ones bringing money into the home. Absolutely not a biblical concept. Not biblical. There is nothing wrong. In fact, there is much right with a man and woman bringing in financial income into the home, according to the scripture. Number two, the other issue I want to address are my dear sweet sisters who are in a specific time frame in their life that are raising, like you might be here today and you're 27 years old and you've got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four four-year-olds and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, you know, and you're just like, oh my word, I can't believe I'm even here. And you're like, now I have to start a business and sell stuff on Etsy so that I can be in a virtuous woman, right? Like, uh, no, what you need to do is realize the stage of life you're in and give yourself a break. Amen? Right? What, what you might be doing right now in this early childhood development stage is putting so much effort into those children, you don't have time for some of these other things because you are bringing value to the home because you don't have to pay a bunch of people to raise all those children. Now, now everything is different for each family, and we can discuss those when you emailed me this week because I know I will be getting emails this week. <laughs> But what we're saying here, I wanted to give that caveat, I don't want any 22-year-old, 27-year-old woman going out with his burden like, oh no, I'm not a virgin. Relax, you're in a stage of life right now, and you need to take care of the stage of life that you're in. Don't worry, don't worry. But there will be another stage of life where this will be more applicable to you, and that time will come. Can I get an amen? You understand what I'm saying? All right. 
industrious. Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies her sashes to the merchants. I've done much, Heather and I both, have done much premarital counseling over the years. Much marital counseling over the years. And in the marriage counseling that we've done, I've heard it said more than once, I've heard a dear sweet sister look at me and say things like, I don't really know about the money. He takes care of all that. He, he makes the money, I spend the money. <laughs> what? 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 Where did you get the idea that this is a biblical idea? You've fallen into a cultural trap. I don't care what preacher told you that was right. That's not biblical. You should be involved in the finances of your home. Now, depending on how your family is structured and who has different skill sets, it could work differently. My wife and I, I happen to be interested more in financial things. She less interested. That doesn't mean she's not part of the budgeting and the generosity giving and part of those conversations about retirement investing in the future. I bring her into those. My friends Jason and Kimberly, who lead worship up here. Kimberly is much more gifted and interested in the financial realm. So she brings Jason into those conversations. One person doesn't have to be the, that's not a gender role specific thing. It's wherever you're gifted and skilled. But whoever you are, husband or wife, you should not be doing this alone. You should be doing this as partners. Income and outgo as much as possible. What else about this virtuous woman? She is generous, she is generous. She doesn't just seek money so that she can have. She seeks funds so that she can give. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's giver. She's a giver. She doesn't just think, well, I hope my husband is looking out for some single mothers this Christmas. She's thinking, what single mothers can we take care of? Who are the poor in our community? Who are the poor in our society? Who are the poor in our local church that we can care for? She's thinking of that. You say, well, I don't have any money. You will have money if you become industrious. And you're not going to have a husband saying to you, well, don't do this and don't give that away and don't tithe if you're bringing so much into the coffers that he can't say that. I know for some of you, especially very traditional Christians, I'm, I'm turning some things on your head a little bit. I'm trying to be as biblical as possible. Generous. Number seven, she is smart. She is smart. I love verse 26. It so, so reminds me of Heather. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is the law of kindness. Her mind is sharp. I don't understand in the American society where we have gathered and developed the idea that stupidity is attractive. <laughs> Men who look at... I just don't know what's going on. I just, I'm just, I'm just a. <laughs> she, her mind is sharp and her words are selected. You see this? She doesn't just say whatever comes to her mind because I, I just speak my mind. Maybe you need to shut your mouth. 
right? So do I sometimes. Okay, here's, here's one of those moments. Are you ready? This one's tough. You ready for it? Everybody hold on. Here it comes. Everybody ready? Here it comes. Stupidity and cruelty are not admirable. They're not admirable, and we need to teach our daughters better. You're cruel with your words. You're cruel when he's there or when he's not there, and you're so funny, and people laugh, and your husband's such a fool. That is not admirable, my sister. You dishonor him, and you dishonor yourself. She is smart. This is admirable. Number eight, this valuable wife, number eight, is family-focused. Number eight and nine go together, and we're done. She is family-focused. That's it. I knew it. This is where the pastor gets really chauvinistic. Well, it's exactly the same thing I said to the men last week. Husbands, fathers, ought to be family-focused. Women, wives, mothers, ought to be family-focused. You have a primary relationship, and that is to God. And after that, your number one responsibility is each other and the children if God has given you a spouse and children. That's the number one. Look, at, look, look at what it says. It says, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is the overseer of the household. Just like Pastor Fred is the executive pastor of this church and he oversees all of the details of this church, so the wife oversees all of the details of her home. She's not an inhabitant of the home, a servant to a man. She is the overseer of the home. And she's focused on the family. And when she does so, look at what happens. This is really cool. Her children rise up and they call her blessed and her husband also, and he praises her. And then it tells us what he says about her. There are many women in this world who have done well, but you, you, you excel them all. You say, man, I'd love for my children to bless me and my husband to say that to me. Then earn it. Now let me stop and say, many of you are and have been. I've thought of so many of you, and I think to myself, that's why your children and grandchildren praise you. That's why when I speak to your husbands, they can only speak well of you, because you've been family-focused. Remember how I said that at the beginning, none of these are natural attributes, personality traits? That's just not who I am. There are virtues that you can add to you that make you more valuable. You know, in my 20s, when I just started investing financially, I had nothing. But as I started adding a little bit of value to my portfolio, it's amazing how my value has grown over the decades. And the same is true with you right now. You say, I'm not these things. You can add these virtues, add these values. Don't say, that's not me. No, friend, that's arrogant and ignorant. Say, I can add these virtues and values and be more valuable to the men and women in my life. Number nine, and most important, she is God-centered. God-centered. Her husband is not, listen, her husband is not the center of her life. Her children are not the center of her life. You make her husband your idol, 
you'll, 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 you'll hate your idol. What we idolize, we eventually demonize. You make your children your idol, eventually you'll demonize them. You make God your God, all of these other things will fall into place. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will take care of themselves. God centered this womanness. Look at what it says, and the passage is through. Charm is deceitful, that is, you can fool anybody for a couple days. Beauty is passing, oh, there's natural beauty. Be natural beauty fades away quickly. But a woman who fears the Lord, ah, oh, she's the one who should be praised. She's the one who will be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. That is, allow her to be praised for what she's done. This is why we have Mother's Day. This is why we have celebrations of great women, not only in our community, in our society, but in this church. And we ought to do more to celebrate that. This is a biblical concept. We ought to celebrate the strong women of our past and of our day. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. That means in the community, in the important places in the community. I want to address this before I close. Single moms in the room, those who might be single and not married, you might say, okay, pastor, okay, how does this apply to me? I'm not in that scenario right now. I don't have a husband. Okay. All of these are virtues that we can all add to our lives. I'm not a wife, but man, so many of these things, I, as I studied it, I'm like, man, I, I am not good with this. I've failed in this area. And so you know what I did as I studied this for the wives? I studied it for myself too. I said I can grow in these to become more valuable pastor, more valuable boss, a more valuable friend, a more valuable husband. You can do the same thing in your life, amen? Now you might say as I close, okay, pastor, so if I do all these things, I become more valuable. As you follow the virtues and add virtues into your life, you do increase in your valuable nature to the other humans around you. But your value before God never shifts or changes one iota because of how he sees you. Like I said, there will be a day when there will be family members who have no idea what this is, and they'll throw it away, and they could care less. Because when they see this, they just see a piece of plastic. The reason why I invest most of my effort into my relationship with God And the reason why you should invest most of your effort in your relationship with God is because he sees you differently than anybody sees you. You don't have to have anything earned with him. This is why every sermon I preach, I constantly point back to the one truth of the Bible that is the most freeing. And that is the grace of God. You can't prove it to him. You can't earn it with him. You can't make yourself more likable to him. He just likes you and he loves you and he saves you by grace. Well, for me, that becomes my number one priority.
And if you're here today and you've never experienced the grace of God, I want to encourage you to repent and receive Jesus as your Savior. If you're here today and you're overwhelmed by all the things you must do, relax and celebrate the grace of God that says, I love you no matter what. And if you're resting certain in the grace of God today and you have a relationship that you're married to a man, ask yourself the question, based on these virtues, am I making myself valuable to him? Not for my own self-worth, I know my worth because of God, but because I want to be a valuable wife. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you because your, your scriptures, well, they just speak truth. And sometimes it's funny truth, and sometimes it's hard truth, and sometimes it's obvious truth, but it's always truth. And Lord, as we've studied it today, I pray that you would give us grace to receive it and then grace to grow thereby. I do pray specifically for my men in this room, my brothers in this room, that we would become better fathers and better husbands. And I pray for my sisters in this room that we would become better mothers and better wives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.